Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Pod. I am Charlie, joined as always by Reed. And uh, Reed, as we are sandwiched in between two more uh, cursed game weeks, how are you feeling about Oregon's chances this week? I'm feeling happy that we are at 4-1 and one with a chance to get to this bye week with only one loss. I said last week and have said since the Georgia game, like 4-2 and two seemed like it would have been uh, a positive coming out of that game. And now, you know, Oregon has survived these games in different fashions, each one kind of, and against different qualities of opponent. And this is another potentially trap matchup, uh, but you know, that Oregon is favored in and certainly has every uh, chance to get out of this game alive. Yeah, and we will go deep on Arizona in a second. Uh, As usual, let's clean up some things we noticed from the Stanford game. Honestly, I don't have a ton of things. We barely had a ton to say about it at the end of the game last time. Uh, One thing I will say that maybe we didn't emphasize enough was how dominant Oregon was running the ball. Um, Hithleday does his own numbers for like success rates and things like that. And his adjusted, um, yards per carry for the ducks were like over 11 yards per carry, which is just, it was like an 80% success rate running the ball, which both of those numbers are like insane beyond insane. Um, that that's not sustainable over like two games. Well, we'll see if it is actually, we'll get into that against Arizona. Um, but that that's actually an insane clip. And we've been saying that weeks and weeks and weeks on end now about this Oregon team. Um, the run game is really good. And I think it's safe to flag this as something that is way overperforming our expectations, considering the fact that Byron Cardwell is still not playing for the Ducks consistently. Would you agree? Yeah, I think you're spot on. I I mean, part of it obviously is the running backs and part of it is the offensive line. Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington have been both awesome. uh, And the offensive line has looked better, I think, than anyone expected. I think people thought maybe they would take a step back because, of course, you know, Cristobal and Mirabal had their reputation uh, as offensive line guys. And there was a bit of skepticism about how Adrian Clem would do with this group. And it's been really good uh, so far. Obviously, the penalties in this game were a downside, but run blocking has been good, and we all know the story of pass protection only having allowed one sack all season. Um, so I think that's a huge positive. We were talking a little bit before we got on about like what is the identity of this Oregon team. It's something I've been wondering about you know, throughout this season, and especially this week, it feels like. Some of those other Pac-12 contenders, you know, we know about USC's star-studded offense, and we've seen Utah run through the Pac-12 and win the thing last year, uh, you know, with a somewhat similar iteration of their team. And it feels like this Oregon group under new leadership we're we're learning about still, and I think that um, the lines of scrimmage are emerging as a strength and identity of this team that uh, in, is in contrast to a lot of the rest of the conference. I think the offensive line is almost without question the best unit in the conference right now. And I think the defensive line and and their ability to stop the run has been really impressive too. For all the faults of the secondary and, and the banged up linebacking core, um, the defensive line has showed up well and the linebackers have at least been successful in, in aiding with run support so far. 
I think that's potentially a way that Oregon wins games uh, more consistently. And the other side of that, too, that I think is helping them win games consistently is that this offense also has another facet to it. It has effective passing game and some real playmaking wide receivers that maybe during the Chris Bowl tenure, while Oregon still had that prowess along the lines, not having that passing game that can consistently put up points and give you a margin for error, give you a cushion in the scoreboard, uh, I think is what led to some of these fluky losses the past few years. I agree. And this is certainly a, this upcoming game against Arizona is certainly a candidate for said fluky loss. Um, although, as you mentioned, there, there are some reasons as to why that might not be the case. Um, I think, First of all, are we done with Stanford? Can we move on from that yeah. terrible team? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, <laughs> they really are truly bad. Um, so Oregon, the first thing we got to talk about against Arizona and the thing that everybody's been talking about is the the history in this matchup, right? Um, there's obviously been a lot of memorable moments down in the desert, both against Arizona and Arizona State. Uh, since 2013, the Ducks have taken five losses in... Uh, one, two, three, four, five, like 10 matchups down in the desert or sorry. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, obviously the most memorable one most recently against Arizona state in 2019 cost the ducks a trip to the college football playoff, which may have been a good thing. I'll hold that thought. Cause we'll, I'm going to bring it up towards the end of this episode when we talk about national stuff, but, um, duck lose to Arizona state in the Johnny Johnson game. That was quite annoying. Uh, Herbert took another couple L's down in Arizona. One of them was in 2018. We remember, um, Oregon had climbed their way back up to number 19 in the country and then got absolutely decimated by Arizona, um, 44 to 15. We have 2017, the Ducks losing by two points at Arizona state. That was a tough one. Um, and I mean, there've been others throughout the years, obviously the, the 2014 game at, in Autzen comes to mind, but even the year before that, in 2013, a top five Oregon team goes into Arizona, gets destroyed. Um, I think the most memorable L, uh, and really kind of where this um, this like sort of streak or maybe curse kicks off for a lot of us uh, who were born around the turn of the century, um, is the Dennis Dixon game in 2007, where he goes down uh, in that absolutely soul-crushing fashion. Um, before that, it had been since 1998 that the Ducks actually lost at Arizona, specifically. So um, we had a nice little streak when we were, you and I were little children, Reed. But um, unfortunately, that changed around 2007. It, do you have any sort of reasoning as to why this happens? Like, is it too hot? Is it too <laughs> loud? Is it like too sweaty or something? I, I don't know. Like, what's the deal? Why do we always lose to these people? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's a difference in terms of distance. I think the climate uh, plays into it probably, you know, the heat, the dryness there. Uh, it feels more different, I think, than some of the road trips probably within the SEC feel in terms of changing of landscape and, and just pure distance. I mean, the Pac-12 spans a pretty big footprint, and that makes some of these road trips just a little bit harder. Um yeah, one stat that I kind of have zoomed in on, and this is the game that I chose to write my Substack preview on this week because 
I, I felt like, I mean, mainly because Utah and USC is a game I wanted to talk about next week and talked about UCLA last week. So I thought this was, you know, another interesting matchup to look at. And I think the piece of the history that stood out the most to me, and I haven't seen anyone bring this up, is is that uh, three of the last four Oregon head coaches have gone to Tucson in their first year as head coach. Willie Taggart's the only one who didn't. Um, But in each of those matchups, really uh you know had something very strange happen and in every one of them just like in the game on saturday oregon went in as a ranked team and arizona was unranked the first one was 2009 with chip kelly uh that delivered oh man (laughs) one of the best games in the history of the pac-12 conference uh, and I think Oregon fans probably remember Masoli's pass to Ed Dixon with six seconds left and surviving in double OT and the Rose Bowl implications of that game. Um, that was one of the most memorable from Chip Kelly's first year uh, and kind of a defining game for him and, and a program-changing game. Um, the other two you mentioned already, but well, do you want to hit on that game first? Yeah, real quick. One question: Is this still your number one rewatchable game of all time? Because it is for me. Yeah, I think I think it is for me too. I love the I love the pairing of that and the Civil War the next week. Or exactly. The, you know what was the Civil War in two thousand nine? Um, those two games I love so much, and just like the rise and the scrappy underdog nature of Oregon, even in that Oregon Arizona game. Like, I guess technically Arizona was the underdog, but. Um, both teams felt like the underdog that night. Like it was just this moment where one team was finally going to break through and like take the conference from back from USC. Um, and so that was such a cool moment, such a cool game in 2009. And then the other two are these really weird blowout losses that you touched on that are very similar to the matchup Oregon has this week. Um, you know, I don't know what the spreads were back then because. Some of that was a little less popular back in 2013. I probably could find it somewhere, but that, you know, number five Oregon going into the desert. Uh, if you remember that game, Marcus Mariota threw his first two interceptions of the season and they lost 42 to 16 and Mark Helfrich's first year. Uh, and then Mario Cristobal had his really weird trip to the desert in 2018 when, you know, after the Washington win and then the Washington state loss and, like you said, Oregon had climbed back up to 19th, uh, playing again an unranked Arizona team and lost by 30 in a weird spot where that Arizona team ended up finishing five and seven. You know, they, they weren't a crazy good team. Uh, I think it was Kevin Sumlin's first year. So, wow, it was what kind a time of, to be alive. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, not similar to like some of these teams have have not been very good. The 2009 Arizona team was competing for at the conference, but none of them were ranked and weird things have happened each time. Uh, and so for me, I think that, you know, Dan Lanning's now becoming really, you know, it's almost the fourth head coach in a row to do it because Willie Taggart's tenure was so short lived. And, you know, it feels like that isn't even an era of Oregon football. It's kind of engulfed by <laughs> Cristobal's time. Um, and this, this trip to Arizona and, and 
each of these coaches first year has proven to be one of the most intriguing games and oddest games of each of their respective seasons and so i'm just interested to see what happens this time i think there's other parallels like you said to that 2019 uh, loss to arizona state in the desert obviously we have memories of uh, and although arizona fans probably don't like to hear it i think the rest of the conference you know views the desert as uh at least like there's a link there uh, and then I think the Stanford game last year has to be brought up. I, I'm sure for the players it feels maybe more similar to that one. Uh, one, because a lot of these same guys are on the team, but also because I think that Oregon was kind of banged up going into that Stanford game. It was the last one before the bye week, and there was a feeling of, like, let's just survive this game on the road, get back home, and get to this bye week and recharge and attack the back half of the schedule and Oregon failed to do that against Stanford um, you know very different team they're playing in Arizona this year but it's a similar feeling I think to if Oregon could get packs this week get Noah Sewell and Justin Flo a little healthier try to fix issues in the secondary maybe Florence finally comes along or whoever um, and keep this offense humming and and there's you know a chance to really put together a competitive team for the back half of the schedule and still not have a conference loss as they go into it. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I, this game is going to go one of two ways and this is, I think kind of going to be at least my overall theme for this preview. Maybe you'll agree as well. Um, this game is going to go one of two ways. Oregon's either going to run Arizona off the field, like we have seen before, even in the desert. I, I think Michael James is, I think he still has the single game rushing record from a game in the desert. I want to say it was 2011, perhaps. Anyways, um, we're either going to blow them out by running the ball down their throats or some weird crap is going to happen and we're going to end up losing. Those are my two outcomes here. And honestly as I've thought about this more and more throughout the week, it's kind of a toss up for me as to which one it'll be. Um, as you mentioned earlier, like we maintained that the ducks, the most likely outcome seemed like four and two before the bye week um, I'm having a hard time letting go of that. Uh, even after the, the Wazoo and Stanford games. I mean, Oregon has not looked good away from home this season, period. Uh, obviously it's a small sample size and one of those games is against the national champs, but I mean, there's, there's no reason to just ignore facts like that. Um, that game at Wazoo was a miracle. We've talked about it many times. It was a miracle that we pulled that out. Arizona is going to be just as tough of an environment. Perhaps they just got a big win over Colorado. Like I know it's Colorado. It doesn't matter. Like <laughs> they've won their last two home games. And I know one of those is against North Dakota State. Guess what? That's a genuinely big win for Arizona. I think there's a lot of momentum around their program right now. It'll certainly be reflected as such in the stands, I think. Um, I'm really, really nervous about this game. So I'll, I'll save a prediction for later. But uh, in general, do you, are you kind of on board with that? Do you see a lot of other outcomes? Yeah, I feel the exact same way. You know, I think that it hinges a lot on Oregon's ability to contain the Arizona passing game. And we'll get into the deep preview of that. But 
for Oregon, I think this game is an opportunity to prove this team is different than the teams we've seen before and can start to avoid these fluke losses because around the conference, I think people are starting to view Oregon as a team that's going to drop one a year, whether it's to Stanford last year or Arizona in 2019 or a couple of them in 2020. Um, you know, under Cristobal, I think that's how people felt about this team. They're going to screw around uh, with lesser opponents and eventually they were going to get got. And now this year offers, you know, under new leadership, a chance to say like, Versus these teams that we should be beating, Oregon's going to handle their business. Um, Oregon mm-hmm. did that really well against Stanford last week. That was a huge, a huge pass of a test that a lot of, you know, other Oregon teams have failed, albeit against a lot worse iterations of the Stanford program. Uh, I think that this is a typical Pac-12 trap game on the road, though. And it's another opportunity, probably more significant than the Stanford game because it's on the road and because I think that this Arizona team has a little more fight to them and poses a few more matchup issues for the Ducks uh, for Oregon to show like we can still lean on the areas that we have a huge advantage in and control this game uh, against a team that, you know, is is competent and is hyped up to play us yeah and within the context as you mentioned of the conference nobody likes going down to play in the desert um i don't have statistics about who loses more down there than than like oregon or who doesn't um but regardless this is like an important road test uh that's kind of unique to the pac-12 right Obviously, in other conferences, you have different sorts of environments and things like this. You know, winning at LSU, for example. No matter how bad LSU is, a win at LSU still means something. Um, In that way, I think that kind of translates uh, here. Like, you know, this is kind of the Pac-12's version of that in some sense. Um, A win in the desert does mean something. Just like, as we mentioned before last week, beating Stanford still means something. Um, That's a demon that Oregon has not been able to you know, that's tripped us up in the past. Um, And if Oregon does want to be that first team that can run through an entire Pac-12 slate uh, cleanly, this is going to be a huge hurdle to do that. Um, I hope people don't look ahead, or I hope the players aren't looking ahead to anything. It's a bye week after this. I hope they're not too banged up, whatever. Um, Arizona's facing in the middle of their, their, this is beginning their murders row of games right after this. So, I don't know, man. I, I'm still just really nervous about this game. But uh, before we dive into the matchup-specific stuff, I do want to mention that that Arizona murders row, whatever you want to call it. If you're not familiar with Arizona's schedule, um, it is really tough. I mean, this is as about as difficult, I think, as a Pac-12 schedule gets uh, down the stretch. You know, they've had a nice little three-win season so far. They, they hit their over on their two-and-a-half win total. So I guess, technically speaking, it, it could be perceived as a successful season already. Do you know what their upcoming schedule is? Do you want me to read it off? Yeah, you can read it off. I have it in front of me, too. Uh, they play Oregon, obviously. Then they go to Seattle in Week 7. Very difficult. Then they get their bye week. That's kind of nice. Then they host USC. Then they play at Utah. 
then they play at UCLA, and then they host Wazoo before the Territorial Cup in Week 13. That, those are, the their next five upcoming opponents are the five ranked Pac-12 teams, and then they play Wazoo, who is, who was the number one, like, votes receiving team, and for all intents and purposes, is effectively a, pack, uh, a top 25 Pac-12 team right now. Um, that's insane, man. That, that really, really sucks for them. They got the short end of the stick on this one. Um, I don't know if this was by design by someone in the conference. I know we've hypothesized in the past that some of these books might be cooked in terms of like how matchups are made each year. But um, I mean, this is, this is absolutely terrible. Have you ever seen a worse schedule than that? I don't think so. Well, I, I don't remember the last time that there were six borderline ranked teams in this conference to begin with so yeah true <laughs> it's pretty hard to, to have have any team that plays all six of them in a row but yeah this is tough for I, I mean people talk about or you know some people were talking about could Arizona make a bowl game in the preseason and they you know fought through the reg through the first five of their schedule got a win at San Diego State that was big you know, winning the North Dakota State game was a toss-up that was huge. It was a little bit deflating to drop that Cal game in the fashion that they did. But now there's only that one win against Arizona State on the schedule left. And even that is not a complete certainty. Uh, I think that they might have a bigger chance to drop that game than they do in, you know, almost any of these games to win them individually. Uh, but I think for Arizona, you're probably thinking, you know, can we get, can we get a win out of these six or two, maybe, uh, and, and take that, you know, if you get two, then you win the Arizona state game and you do get to six. Uh, Mm -hmm. but I think even just getting one would be a, a huge bonus for Arizona. And I think it's possible. I think, um, you know, the Oregon secondary is not great. Washington secondary is not great. Uh, the USC game, we'll see w- what happens. That's off a of bye week, and we saw USC struggle with Arizona State a bit. Uh, I think Arizona is better than them. The Utah game's probably not going to you know, be very close at the road. <laughs> but uh, maybe the Washington State game at home again, they'd have a chance in. But, yeah, it's a really hard schedule. I think you know we're going to learn a lot about how good Arizona actually is starting with this game and this is a big one because i i don't think i don't know if you've mentioned the spread yet it's 13 mm-hmm. um you know it's not it's not 20 it's yeah. not completely unreasonable it's you know i think of games within two touchdowns that's at least competitive um mm-hmm. potentially and arizona hasn't really been in a in an op been in a situation to do this yet under Jed Fish I think you know last year they just really didn't have the horses to compete with anyone who's that good I mean they played Oregon somewhat tough but it was never really in doubt for the Ducks I would say and now it feels like this is the first game of the season that you know if Arizona does something if they win obviously but even if they play a really competitive game all of a sudden, you know, the national attention's going to be on them for a little bit. It, you know, it won't be the primary focus, but 
having a result against Oregon, whether it's competitive or especially if it's a win, would really mean something uh, for the trajectory of this Arizona team. And I have to imagine that the players are excited after, you know, last year and uh, years before that of not really being competitive, not being relevant. This is a chance to gain relevance through be- through beating a ranked Oregon team. Yeah, and I mean, as I said, that it's certainly possible. Like you mentioned earlier, the Mariota game where we go in and lose to what eventually becomes an Arizona, a five and seven Arizona team on the year. I mean, as you were, as we were looking through Arizona's schedule, I couldn't stop thinking to myself, like, wow, this could be another another five and seven Arizona team that that beats Oregon. Um, right. It's not inconceivable. Like weird stuff happens in college football. Uh, and a lot of times in this new world of not new world, but more popularized world of data and looking at numbers all the time. Um, I think a lot of people conflate what's likely to happen with, you know, they, they just state it as fact. Um, when in reality, this is the most chaotic sport in the history of sports. And that's why we like it in the first place. Right. Um, so yeah, predicting absolutely. like, Predicting weird stuff to happen is probably your best bet, <laughs> especially in a game like this. Uh, so let's talk about why. Um, on offense, there's a clear recipe for Oregon. I've already mentioned it to, in this episode. It's to run the ball. Um, I mentioned Oregon's success rate last game, and I got news for you. Arizona is not very good on defense, uh, particularly against the run. They are 102nd in FBS. Uh, in terms of EPA allowed per rush, um, that is very, very bad. Uh, just below Texas State, I believe, just above Ball State. Um, but they're not particularly great at defending the pass either. They're ranked 62nd in that regard. Um, overall, their defense ranks like somewhere just below average or just below the middle of the pack um, in the entire country. I mean... Is it that simple, do you think? Like, you've done, you're writing your preview on this. Like, what else does Oregon need to do to win this game? Is there anything else, really? Yeah, I think run the ball. And, I mean, especially in the red zone, hopefully, where Oregon's had some struggles, it would be nice if you didn't really have to cook up much of a play call and you could just run it (laughs) downhill and get six yards every time and punch it in that way. Um, but yeah, run the ball, you know, control the ball and don't turn it over, I think (laughs) is the big things like Mm -hmm. Oregon should have no reason to take any risks in this game. I don't care really if, you know, Troy Franklin is one-on-one deep and, you know, maybe has a half step on a guy, it if that ball is thrown and it's underthrown and put in harm's way, like there shouldn't be a reason for that in a game that Oregon should be running the ball for like at minimum six yards a carry, it feels like, which is mm-hmm. a very good number, but that's just the reality of how these two lines match up against each other. Um, so it's not a game where points are going to be at a premium and you need to you know, risk put the ball in harm's way in order to make a big play happen. It should be a game where you can just 
churn out yards and continue to put stress on Arizona to keep up and to not make mistakes of their own. Um, because I think that's the only way that you put this game in a really scary spot. But that being said, again, it's like chaos is to be expected in this sport. And, you know, we saw Bo Nix has had, uh, you know, a costly head scratching interception and in both road games this mm-hmm. season uh, throwing another like that's exactly the type of thing in this game that happened in Washington State that would put this game in jeopardy just like it did when Oregon went to Pullman a pick six in the red zone like that's the type of thing that puts Oregon two scores behind against a pretty competent offense that is gonna put up some points in this game probably um, I mean, we talked about the spread. The over/under on this game is seventy and a half. That's the highest in the league this this week. Um, in a you know week where there are other high-powered offenses facing against each other, USC and Washington State um, isn't as high of an over/under as this. Nor is Utah and UCLA. So, you know, in a thirteen-point spread, that means that Vegas is expecting. Arizona to put some points up on Oregon Mm -hmm. Uh, and I don't think that's ridiculous to expect at all Mm -mm. Um, but you know this is a game where Arizona probably you know is gonna get into the 20s and if they're really cooking you know they can get to 35 or something and when a team gets to 35 on you that limits your offense's ability to make mistakes even in a game that they have a huge advantage on the ground it's the type of thing where if you know if you put yourself in that position uh it can still be difficult to come back yeah and when we talk about this game plan i think it's interesting because part of me you you can you know give your two cents on this as well please do honestly um Part of me wants to think that the Mario Cristobal game plan on paper, uh, not the mentality side of it, but the the actual like scheming game plan might work better in this game than what we've been doing. Um, you know, run the ball down their throats and don't really, you know, try to keep the lead and don't take any really big risks. Like that kind of sounds like pretty conservative Cristobal ball. Um, I don't know. It's kind of antithetical to what Oregon wants to do as a team, right? What we've been hearing the past few weeks has been all don't let ducks beat ducks and, you know, don't make mistakes, uh, things like this, which of course you never want to make mistakes and you never want to have penalties and things like that. But, um, their mentality as a team has been, we are going to do what we do. And because we have better players, you are not going to be able to stop us. And that's a risk, you know, that's a risk that you take. You're playing outside of what the perceived limitations are and what your perceived strengths are sometimes. And, you know, the upside of that is occasionally we get a deep ball to Troy Franklin uh, and occasionally Bo Nix rips off some good runs and things like this. But, I mean, if Oregon was playing purely just like by win percentage numbers, they would be running the ball every down. Uh, now, obviously, it gets a little more complicated than that because data doesn't account for things like coaches adjusting to a scheme, but um, or it doesn't always. But I, I don't know, man. Like those are warring, you know, ideas of how to play a game. Like, do you play to your strengths 100% of the time in a game like this? 
uh, or even like 70% of the time are you going to run the ball? Or is it going to be a one-to-one run-pass ratio or even more passing than running? Um, so in a lot of ways, similar to the, the Wazoo game, momentum is absolutely paramount um, yeah. in a game like yeah. this. Yeah, and I think, you know, you don't have to stop yourself from passing the ball at all, but I think that the idea of keeping yourself ahead of the chains, you know, if you, if you run the ball for seven, eight yards on a first down, which I'm sure will happen its fair amount of times in this game, if you want to, you know, take some sort of a shot or draw something up where someone might be open, you can do that. But the point is you can't be putting the ball in harm's way when you do those things because you should have something that you can fall back on when you need to to move the ball against Arizona consistently. Um, you know, explosive plays always help. And, of course, with the penalties that this team has had, like if you can end drives faster, if you know, if you can end it on the fifth play with someone running open, then, yeah, of course, you know, you're going to have to t- draw some of those things up. But at the same time, it's not going to be a position where you need to take shots. Uh, and hopefully Bonex will recognize, like, if it's not there, tuck the ball and, you know, get two yards and then you hand it off the next time and you get six and all of a sudden you're back ahead of the chains. Like mm-hmm. you just and those are things do those things. Yeah. When the Ducks went into desperation mode on the road at Wazoo, like that was the game plan. You know, at one point we saw like five, six straight runs before we aired it out uh, and got a big game. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Like, don't pass because you have you you want to avoid passing because you have to, which eventually we had to do in that game. Um, but run the ball because you can, and then pass the ball because you it's a, it because it's there, right? Uh, you don't want to have to pass just to prove you can. Um, you want to run the ball because you can to prove you can. Yeah, totally. Anyways, totally. those are seem like minute differences, and they're really hard to de- they can be hard to detect unless you're really really zoned in on it during a game. Um, but I think it's worth thinking about um, in terms of play calling structure and play sequencing and, and things like this uh, that people aren't always paying attention to. So be on the lookout for that at the very least, I guess. Um, so, yeah, running the ball on offense. I mean, again, Arizona's defense, like, they're bad. I, I think that's safe to say. Like, Oregon's, de- Oregon's offense should be putting up a ton of points. I mean, the spread is 13 and the total is 71 in this game. You're better at math than I am. Maybe you want to figure that out while I keep talking. But <laughs> yeah. um, that's a lot of points implied for Oregon. Uh, the question, the bigger question, I think, is going to be on the other side of the ball. Um, you know, I'm not that scared about Oregon putting up 30 plus points when Colorado was able to put up like, what, 24, 27, I think, against Arizona in their last game. Um, that, that's pretty bad for Arizona's defense, right? Yeah. Uh, the real question for me is on the other side of the ball when the Ducks are on defense. Believe it or not, Oregon still has some of the worst uh, advanced numbers on defense in the entire country in college football right now. I know most of that is from the Georgia game. Um, but, I mean, we've had four more games now to, to iron those things out, uh, to iron those numbers out, or at least, you know, be dominant to, to push them back towards respectable. Um Oregon is still 126th in the country in success rate on defense. 
right behind number 125, Arizona. <laughs> like this is this has not been a great defense. Um, and I talked about the running game being the happiest surprise of the year. I think the defense has been the biggest letdown of the year so far. Is that safe to say? Yeah, absolutely. I think the linebackers especially, just not being healthy, not looking like themselves really. Yeah. I mean, the secondary has been the worst part of this defense, but every Oregon fan knew that that was a concern going into the season. Um, and now, it, you know, the edge, the edge position, the pass rush has been a letdown and the linebackers haven't looked like, you know, they haven't looked horrible, but they haven't looked to the caliber dominant. of being yeah dominant being you know maybe the best running back common or linebacker combination in the country which is what expectations were hovering around preseason and yeah they that hasn't been the case on top of that the secondary outside of christian gonzalez and bennett williams has been bad um and there's unfortunately a lot of teams that pass the ball in this league. Arizona is one of them. UCLA will be one. Uh, and Washington, of course, is uh, you know a major mm-hmm. one coming up down the road. And so this is an opportunity to step up in that group and at least, you know, hold them. Um, not, you know, it doesn't have to doesn't have to be a game where they don't reach double digits but if you can hold them in the low 20s you're going to give your offense plenty of room to score uh and and win this game like they should be able to i mean i think those defensive numbers are a little weird um i went on Um, yeah i mean i'm not saying oregon is the fifth worst defensive team in the country at all right yeah of course i think that the georgia game obviously is a big point of that i think that also, the BYU and Stanford games are two that, you know, at halftime, Oregon had near shutout performances against them. And in the second half, when the game, you know, lost its competitiveness, Oregon let some points pile up on the board. Um, I, don't, I don't have an issue with that necessarily because you want those young guys to take lumps when a game is out of hand. But now it's at a point where, those numbers look pretty bad uh and we still kind of have to see this defense show up and put a full game together yeah and i'm glad you called out the d line at one point too and the the pass rush just hasn't been there um or i think a couple sacks on mckee maybe even just one i can't remember um but in general i mean that's a <laughs> because we've been because we had such high expectations of the linebacking core um, and because the secondary hasn't been great, they're catching most of the talk about it, even from us. Um, but the D-line hasn't lived up to its expectations either. Um, yeah, three, I mean, sacks, three sacks in total on McKee, two from Dorless and one from DJ Jones. Okay, that's right. So that's a little better than I remember. But, but, but I mean, still, Stanford's, def- Stanford's offensive line is... We're talking about know, Stanford running the slow match. Yeah. You should be getting yeah. at least three sacks per game. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's also mentioned. We have to mention Jaden Delora here. Um, had a decent track record against the Ducks. I'm trying to think. I guess he only won one game against Oregon. That would have been in 2018, right? But uh, I don't think he. I don't think he was there in 2018. Oh, he wasn't. Oh, that was Minshew, wasn't it? Or, yeah, it was Minshew yeah, in 2018, Minshew. and then it was um, 
2019 wasn't even him either. Oh, no, it was, you're right. Uh, Who was that? What, Anthony Gordon or something? I yeah, forget his name. Yeah. Okay, well, I was wrong about that, but... Um, <laughs> Either way, my point is Jaden Delora is somebody who can hurt the Ducks. He's the best word for Jaden Delora is Pac-12. Um, he is a Pac-12 quarterback through and through. He will have some games where he will look like the best quarterback in the conference and one of the better ones in the country, and then he'll have a game where he looks like bad Anthony Brown um, and just can't make any reads, can't make any throws, can't do anything. Very oftentimes it will happen in the same game. I'll note. What? <laughs> He'll have, oftentimes it happens in the same yes. game. He'll have a series yes. where he looks like the best <laughs> quarterback, and another one where he looks like Anthony Brown or or whoever you want to plug in there. <laughs> uh, that's a really good point because that was that was one of those games was last week against Colorado. Yeah. Um, on paper, you know, oh, you go six touchdown passes. Holy crap! What a great game. Um, and then if you watch the game, like me, because I'm sick in the head, you like you realize, oh, you know, he, they really should be destroying this team and they can't seem to make it happen. So um, anyways, I think it's safe to say this Arizona team is much, much, much better than they were last year. They have a lot of good weapons. Ted Roy McMillan, T-Mac is obviously the, the most memorable one for Oregon fans, the one-time Oregon commit. He's a lengthy wide receiver. He can make plays. Jacob Cowing is the real weapon on offense, though. The transfer from UTEP, he was one of the best wide receivers in the country last year. Um, you might be scoffing at UTEP, but trust me, UTEP were actually good last year, and Cowing was their best player. Um, there's some, I mean, we mentioned it a little bit, but there's some legitimate reasons for concern against the secondary especially. Um, when you have two receivers like that who can threaten a defense and you have someone like Delora who on occasion is able to deliver them the ball consistently, on occasion consistently, um, <laughs> it, this is a real, this can be a real problem. I think this is the main reason why the line is as close as it is in this game. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I, I mean, he's going to get his. I think that there are going to be some plays where he throws a good ball and the receivers make a play and, you know, Arizona's going to string a few drives together. Right? You have to expect that. But for Oregon, I think it's about, you know, can they capitalize, can they take advantage of the times when there's, you know, probably going to be some lulls in the connection between these, you know, of this passing game. And then can they force some turnovers? Arizona's turned it over eight times on the year. Uh, Delore had three interceptions against Mississippi State. You know, can Oregon kind of replicate some of those things and make a few plays um, that stop those drives and continue to put Arizona's defense back on the field? Because winning that kind of time of possession battle, I know it's something that, you know, traditionally Oregon fans shy away from, but I think in this game, having that advantage and wearing down this Arizona defense can, you know, completely eliminate all resistance that they're able to put up really. Yeah. And I mean, as we switch, I really want to go back to the other side of the ball real quick. Um, we know Bo Nix is, uh, how can I put this nicely? Um, turnover prone or at least turnover susceptible shall we say? Yeah. Um, if you if you let this Arizona team get enough opportunities, they will put up points, like you're saying. 
they will put some drives together. They will put some points on the board. Um, even Vegas is expecting a little more than that to happen, I think. Um, yeah, it would be 42 to 29 about is, is where Vegas is at. Wow, 29 or 28? That's crazy. Yeah. Like four touchdowns? Seem, like I think Oregon fans would be disappointed in that final score, to be honest. Yeah. I think I mean, based on how they view this Arizona team, yeah, absolutely. But I think I've, you know, we've been through this too many times where I think if you're, you know, an Oregon fan, this game is more about getting a win than anything. I mean, having a win by two scores, I think, underlines the point that Oregon is going to be able to survive these games going forward against some of the bottom half teams of the conference. But uh that's Stanford last year you know we would have taken a win um mm-hmm. and I think that with this game you know even if Oregon's defense gets gashed the plan right now for Oregon is you know let's get to the bye week let's fix some have some time to fix some more things defensively and hopefully come out this of the second half with a healthy linebacking core a few things figured out in the secondary and the potential to trot out a pretty good defense because I think this can be a good defense if things are put in the right place and, and these players play up to what their skill level is. Um, I think that it can come together. There are pieces on this defense that are good, uh, but we haven't seen it yet and it feels like it needs another few weeks at least to to transform into that. Yeah, I agree. Um I started making a point last time and then I forgot about it. Arizona played us close last year and they are a much better team than they were last year. Oregon, I think is a better team than we were last season, which is funny to say because I can't picture this Oregon team doing what that one did in terms of the Columbus win. But um, (laughs) Arizona threw five interceptions in that game last year and they came as the fourth quarter began. I believe it was a one score game. Um, there, and that was in Autzen Stadium. I just can't get past the feeling that this game might be cursed in some way. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm really not feeling super confident going into it. Um, if you, if we want to make predictions, we can go ahead and do it. As I said, and as we've mentioned, I think this goes one of two ways. I just really don't like how like if it was one or two things that I was making an excuse about like how bad Oregon's chances should be, then that'd be one thing. But it's so many things Uh, we've talked about like four different ways that this game tilts a little bit more towards Arizona. I don't know, man. I, I think I might predict a loss on this one. Yeah, I'm definitely torn. I think that, you know, still, despite these things, I would say there's more obvious reasons for Oregon to be able to move the ball than there yeah. is for Arizona. Uh, and just because of, you know, I think it comes down to your belief in Oregon's kind of new look offense and whether they've outgrown these these lackluster offensive performances on the road where they stall out in weird spots um, against teams that, you know, really shouldn't be forcing that level of problems, self-inflicted wounds a lot of time. 
And I think that I believe that Oregon's offense will be able to, you know, pick it up and score with these guys. I mean, they put 41, 44, and 45 on BYU, Washington State, and Stanford the last three weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Washington State was that only road game in there, and it included a late pick six uh, and a few late scores. Um, But I think Washington State's defense is significantly better than Arizona's. So for a scoreline, I think I'm going to predict Oregon wins this one 45-35. I think the defense struggles. I think it's scary at times, but... Ultimately, I just don't think that Arizona is quite able to mount the resistance to stop Oregon uh, enough times to to stay in this game. But if this Oregon team shoots itself in the foot or turns the ball over, I think it could easily turn into you know a very scary game late. Yeah, and as as you're mentioning, like on paper, Oregon should win this game, guaranteed. Uh, we talk about this all the time. We talked about it especially last week with Stanford, right? Um, if you're just lining everything up and you're doing the math and you're like mapping out how possessions might go even, um, Oregon's way more talented team still. Uh, they have all the reason in the world to be able to win this game comfortably, you know, by two scores. Just weird stuff happens. I got to pick the Ducks to lose at some point. I, I might as well pick it here. Um I'll go 35-24 Arizona. Um, And as you say, it might be hard for Arizona to get some stops. But um, one thing we haven't really had to mention yet for Oregon is fumbling the ball. Uh, We've talked about Bo Nix and the interceptions. I don't know. Maybe some weird bounces go Arizona's way in this game. I don't like doing it. Obviously, I'm rooting for Oregon to win. I don't care about my prediction that much or at all, really. Um, it's just that a prediction. So I'm gonna go 35-24 Arizona because uh, I don't know. You gotta have some entropy in your life, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I respect that. I think it's, I think it's gonna be competitive for sure, or, or I think it could be at least. Yeah, that's true. Um, so say Oregon does, you know, let's run through each of these scenarios forward look forward facing, right? Say Oregon does cruise and they do fine or even win like. Say they win convincingly, whatever that means to you. Uh, maybe that's a three-score win. Maybe that's like 50-0 to zero or something. Okay, obviously those are a little two different scenarios. But say they lose, say they win by like three or more scores. Um, this is a bona fide Pac-12 contender already. If we cover against Arizona, I mean, we're looking like a team that, you know, no longer do we have the eyes of UW and Utah and USC on us. Um, But at that point, they're getting a little bit scared about who Oregon is as a team, I think. Um, I think think that's totally right. And in terms of a win total perspective, I think you start to look and say, like, Cal and, I mean, Colorado already, you know, everyone's had that one in the win column for a while. But the Cal game, I think, becomes you know, less in, in doubt. I think even the Oregon state game, we'll have to see what this Beaver team sorts itself into later in Mm -hmm. the year, but they, you know, they had a really weird game at Utah last week where they made a quarterback change due to injury. And that offense just is not what people thought they were. And on top of that, I think that 
the Beavers really don't match up that well against Oregon's strengths. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they're a team that would like to be able to run the ball and can't, uh, or, you know, is struggling to. They, they might find their footing there a little more, but Oregon's a pretty good run defense um, that you can probably expect to cause, you know, the same amount of problems or more than what USC did, in my opinion. Uh, and on the other side of the ball, I think that, you know, if Oregon's offense is good, they should be able to score some points on Oregon State, especially if they're willing to run the ball on them uh, because Oregon State's secondaries looked pretty good. They had a really good performance against USC, obviously. Um, but that looks manageable. And then, you know, UCLA game, I think we're going to learn a lot about this weekend. And, um, Washington and Utah are both interesting matchups as well, but you know the Washington game is is sort of like uh, uh, rich man's Arizona in some ways. I think their <laughs> defense isn't that good. Their passing game's even a little better than Arizona's is, but uh, there are a lot of weaknesses on that defense to be exploited. And if this, if Oregon secondary is able to at least compete in this game. Uh, and cause some problems, you know, and and not let Arizona move it so consistently on it. I think it proves that they could be able to do something similar to Washington down the road. For any listeners who didn't get to watch the UW-CLA game last Friday, don't get it twisted. UW got squashed in that game. They scored a couple garbage-time touchdowns and I think two-point conversions to make it look a lot, a lot more interesting than it really was. Um, UCLA were flat out the better team in that game and so much so that people are now vaunting UCLA into like Pac-12 contender discussions um, because people really thought more of UW than what they showed so let's go the other way with the Ducks Um, if I'm right which I hope I'm not and Oregon loses this game um, at this point you know we're looking at four and two on the season three and one in conference or sorry, two and one in conference play at this point, you have to think the PAC 12 title discussions have to die down a little bit. I mean, right? Like the UCLA game instantly becomes much more doubtful. Um, And then that, that three game slate we keep talking about towards the end of the season, you assume that turns into like two losses instead of one, Um, if not more. Uh, well, actually, I, I don't. I wouldn't say more, but I mean, maybe if we get squashed by Arizona, then sure. But I, I mentioned the fumbles earlier as something that haven't we haven't really had to worry about yet. Um, offensive injuries are something we haven't really had to worry about yet either. I know Byron Cardwell hasn't been playing, but he hasn't needed to. I mean, No Whittington and uh, Bucky Irving have been incredible. And Bo has made up for it on the ground in the last game as well. Like, he's doing fine through the air most of the time. The offense, I mean, what if Bo goes down? What would the spread be on this game? Like, yeah, you flip it into Arizona's favor at that point? I mean, I'm not saying, I don't want any of this to happen. I'm not hypothesizing even that it will. But, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that higher temperatures and a sixth straight game in a row might equate to some sort of injury problem um so i don't know man i'm i'm really skeptical but as as far as it forward faces towards the end of the season 
I do think we'd be looking at like expecting probably three losses throughout conference play. We're at this rate with the trajectory we're on. I mean, what what do you expect Oregon's conference record to be? Like right now, in what we've seen, are you thinking one loss or two losses? Or more? Yeah, I I have some faith in this Oregon team, honestly. I, I mean, I like that they can control the ground game. I like that against Washington. Um, this Utah game, I think, you know, obviously Oregon's going to want to be up for, and I'm still waiting to see exactly what Utah and UCLA are. We'll learn a lot about them this week and a lot about U- Utah next week when they play USC. Um, but I tend to think that a lot of these other games should be wins for Oregon. And I think that splitting the Utah and UCLA game right now makes some sense. Now, is it you know, is it closer to two losses than zero? For me, absolutely. It It's right between one and two losses probably the rest of the way. Um, but I think that more than that is a possibility too. Like, if, you know, Arizona, this Arizona game's hard, the Washington game's going to be even more difficult than that. And if Oregon makes mistakes, it's going to be even harder to come back. Um the UCLA game is still so weird. Uh, we'll have a lot of time to preview that game, but it's a really strange one right now uh, because they haven't played any good teams. And they played Washington, um, you know, and controlled that game. And one of the weird aspects that I guess should be somewhat expected is, you know, Washington couldn't run the ball at all. They ran for 2.8 yards per carry. Uh, mm-hmm. They just don't have any running backs in Seattle right now that are, you know, can do much dynamic to break a game open. And yeah, they were behind a lot too. So, you know, it makes sense that they were forced to pass the ball, but still you usually don't see numbers like that. And UCLA's front seven shouldn't be that good. We don't think maybe it is, you know, maybe we'll learn that this weekend that it really is a good front seven, but uh, that wasn't really what we expected, I think, going into that game, or, or not what mm-hmm. we expect from UCLA going forward. Yeah, I agree. Um, so let's get into some of these matchups this week then. Uh, there are a lot of good ones. Obviously, Utah at UCLA has to headline it. Um, that game starts at 12.30 on Fox. This is the only ranked-on-ranked matchup in the Pac-12, although, as we'll get into, pretty much every game is a good one this week. In a, in a different ways. Utah's 4-1, and 2-0 and in the Pac-12. UCLA's 5-0, and 2 in the Pac-12, or 2-0 and in the Pac-12. Utah are three-and-a-half point road favorites in the Rose Bowl for this game. I mean, I have... This is a real tough one for me to pick. Utah historically does really well against UCLA, but also... UCLA is super got to be super motivated after that big win that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. I'll let you pick this one first. Where are you going on this one? I'm going to go with Utah. I'm I'm just having a hard time shifting my perspective on UCLA so much after just a week. I thought they could be more competitive in that Washington game than a lot of people thought than a lot of people were, you know, talking about around the Pac-12. And obviously they went out and won it. But at the same time, 
I mean, the you know, the South Alabama game wasn't a mirage. We did see that team play <laughs> a mediocre college football team, you know, a, a group of five team and not an elite of the elite group of five team either necessarily and pretty much be in a position where they should have lost the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't completely shake that and turn around and say that they're going to beat a Utah team that I think we know is at least pretty solid. Um, it just doesn't quite add up for me. Even though last week's performance was so good, I mean, people were just so down on this UCLA team through four weeks, and I'm I'm not convinced it's all going to just go away uh, so quickly. I would love for this to be a competitive game. Uh, I'll, I'll I think I think it will be. I'm with you. I'll take Utah, but I want to ask you: Do you think these teams are on the same tier in the Pac-12 right now? For doing the whole tier BS. Yeah, that's a good question. I do you think, think it matters? <laughs> like, does it not even matter? I don't think it matters because I just I don't believe that there are that defined of tiers and i'm not someone who you know is above tearing out teams i think that it can be a fun (laughs) and interesting exercise when they really exist but i don't know if we've seen enough to say that they do so far this year uh Mm. and i would say that you know if i had to draw a line i still think that there's a pretty big gap for me in between my perception of or or I guess how I would feel if USC, Utah, or Oregon won the Pac-12 versus how I would feel if UCLA did. Mm. Uh, even like right now, knowing what they are, uh, I would be pretty shocked if we end this year and UCLA is holding a Pac-12, tro- Pac-12 title trophy. Uh, not that they absolutely couldn't, but it would be a big surprise. <laughs> uh, it would be a big indictment on the conference as a whole. Yeah, and maybe that's still holding on to too much of my preseason perceptions of these teams, but that's still where I'm at, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised at all to see any of Utah, USC, or Oregon win this conference. I mean, you're right in that a week ago we were talking about UCLA as like the worst 4-0 team in the country. Right. I mean, let's not forget that just because they had one good game against a UW team who hadn't played anybody. Um. So yeah, Utah UCLA, definitely a great one for your 12.30 p.m. kickoff. It's on Big Fox. Go check it out. Um, next game, speaking of UW, uh, <laughs> the poor man versions of the poor man's version of Oregon at Arizona. This is Washington at Arizona State. Um, <laughs> Washington are 14-point favorites, almost the same as Oregon, and it's in Tempe. As I mentioned on the last episode, the four Pacific Northwest teams all traveling south this week. Um, which is kind of an interesting dynamic. I don't know if that was on purpose for whatever reason or if that's just how it shook out, but um, I'm going to pick the Huskies in this game. I think they bounce back. Uh, Arizona State beat them in Seattle last year towards the end of the season. Um, it was one of those games that even though Washington were bad, they still kind of expected to win just because Arizona State were down, um, or at least earlier in the season they expected to win. Uh, but like the Colorado game, they just kind of blew it. Um, so give me give me Washington in a bounce back week. 
Yeah, I think this is a pretty good line. I'll go... Ooh, it's tough. I'm not convinced that... I'm not convinced that Washington's going to come out and take this game as seriously as they should. Hmm. But I also think that 14 points just isn't that much with how you know, good their offense can be uh, and with how quickly they can score points. So I think that Washington I'll take to end up covering this game, but um, nothing would really surprise me in this one, honestly. Another storyline to think about in this game is the road dynamic for Washington. Uh, Last week at UCLA was their first road game of the season. Um, And obviously we've already talked about how poorly that went for them. So prove to us that you can win on the road, Washington, uh, and then we'll take you a little more seriously. Maybe, maybe not. Um, I, I will say Washington can certainly climb their way back up into this like perceived top tier of like, or let me stop saying tiers into this top <laughs> level of like pac 12 contenders, you know? Um, Cause right now I think they've fallen from it just because of how poorly they played in that one game. But they have a really nice runway to build things back up for themselves going at ASU in this game and then playing Arizona at home and then Cal on the road who, you know, that's kind of like their Stanford. They struggle with Cal in the past, but I still think those are three games Washington should win. Uh, they'll almost certainly be favored on all those games. Um, and then they get OSU at home after a bye week. So, I mean, if you think about it, those, sh- those kind of should be four wins for UW. If they come into the Oregon game eight and one, I mean, that'll be a huge matchup already, but it has potential to be really, really big. So um, just keep an eye out for that. That's 1 p.m. on the Pac-12 network. Um, 4.30 p.m., another big Fox game. Wow, two in a row for the Pac-12. Back-to-back, that's kind of nice. Shout-out to the Cougs getting another national slate. I think this will be the third time this year that they've been on, like, local Fox. That's pretty massive for them. Or national Fox, I should say. Uh, 4.30 kick, 4-1 Wazoo visiting 5-0 USC. USC are 13-point favorites in this game. What are you feeling? How, what do we think about this? This is, uh, this is a hard game to pick. Another one. I, I mean, there's just so many good matchups, honestly, in this conference, and it's been so much more interesting to watch this year than it was last year. Um. It also helps that Cal and Colorado probably two of the harder teams to watch <laughs> this conference are on bye weeks this week. Um, True. Ooh, I think I want to go Washington State, so I will. Okay. But it's yeah, it's a really. I think it's by far the best team that USC has played. Maybe you want to argue about that Oregon State game. But I felt like that wasn't the Beavs' best shot at all. Um, And so I think that this is a chance for Washington State to kind of get one back after, you know, losing that Oregon game that could have been their statement win. I like how Washington State's played this year uh, pretty much after that Idaho game, like, to start the year, the getting a gritty win at Wisconsin. Again, it's a team that's not great. You know, I mean, they just fired their head coach, but they're um, they're not 
horrible. They weren't perceived to be horrible back back then. And to go out and handle business on the road there is still impressive. And the way they played against Oregon was obviously impressive. Uh, and even the win against Cal in a game that a lot of people were wondering if it should be a toss-up almost. Wazoo went out and proved they're the better team. So I like I like the Cougs to get it done and keep it close. Or, you know, maybe not get it done, but at least keep it close against USC. Um, and for USC, maybe to be looking ahead to the Utah game coming up. I'd agree with you that this is the toughest team USC has played so far. I'm also very interested to see how USC... I mean... This is a weekly thing now with USC. How do the, how many turnovers do they get? Like literally, just count how many turmo- turnovers they get. Um, yeah. That'll keep painting my perception of this team until they like prove that they can win without getting like four turnovers in a game. It's a battle um, of the turnover luck, really, between Wazoo and USC. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Uh, this game originally opened at 14, then got whittled all the way down to like 10 and a half. And now it's back up to 13 or 12, depending on where you are, or 12 and a half. But um, I don't know, man. Really, really interesting like matchup for this. I'm very excited to watch this game. Uh, interestingly enough, this is the opposite of what uh, I thought. 55% of the money coming in is on um, Wazoo in this game. It's, it's just kind of something to keep an eye on. I don't know. Um, okay. Last matchup we'll cover, Oregon State, one touchdown favorites at Stanford on the farm. Oregon State, we know they're terrible on the road. We know they're terrible on offense now after a couple weeks of just absolutely like mind-numbingly bad offensive performances. Um, Chance Nolan was injured in that last game, but I mean, I think he might have been pulled anyways after his three interceptions to Clark Phillips. Uh, didn't he have four interceptions total? Maybe I'm dreaming that up. I don't remember. Um, either way, Gold Branson wasn't a great replacement, so the Beavs might be in a little bit of trouble. Uh, we talked about how Stanford could be a trap game for Oregon last week. There's no reason they can't pose those same threats against Oregon State in my mind. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, I kind of like Stanford in this. What do you, what are you thinking? Like, are these suddenly two of the worst teams in the Pac-12 if Stanford wins? I don't know if I'm ready to go there with Oregon State quite yet. But the Stanford team is bad. So, I mean, that that is convincing. Just to clear it up, Gold Branson threw two and Nolan threw two of his own. So, oh, okay. Uh, four total, but they, they each had two. Um, Seven-point line is surprising here for an Oregon State team that we thought was, you know, pushing – that second tier and like maybe along with the Washington schools a week ago um, or, you know, fighting to get in the first tier. They play a super competitive game that they maybe should have won against USC. Um, I think last week was, was just a situation of a lot of things not going well for Oregon State, but I don't think Stanford's very good. Uh, I still think, I think Oregon State's, defense is going to be able to shut them down pretty well um i think the under on this game actually it's at 56 and a half i would bet the under for sure yeah definitely uh i don't know why that number is that high 
it's the same number that uh, Washington Arizona State is, and I think that game would is going to have way more points. Um, that's really surprising to me, but um, yeah, it is. I'd go Beavs, and honestly, the under is one of the few plays that I would actually feel confident enough to to really bet because I'm not the most uh, degenerate gambler. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to remember that when I'm filling out my uh, Pac-12 no truck stops um, picks this week because I always seem to forget that I'm allowed to bet totals instead of just trying to guess on, on a spread. So um, either way, that's a really solid Pac-12 slate. Uh, like you said, I, I mean, a lot of it has to do with the two probably most boring teams. Well, Stanford's still playing. Um, but Cal and Colorado not playing this week, getting their buys. So hopefully I can creep up a little bit uh, on this record against you. I'll take Oregon State as well. Um, so I guess we only have one differentiating pick. But, I mean, carry water and chop wood or whatever, right? Get 1% <laughs> better each day. Um, all right, man, we got to talk about some of these national slates, though, because this is, I mean, if – you're listening to this and you're not either going to a college football game or sitting down and watching college football all day. We are not the same. Um, they're insanely good matchups all day long, like all across multiple screens. This is a great day to have multiple screens. We got to start with red river, um, at nine o'clock, Texas, Oklahoma. I know both these teams are down right now and throughout the season they have been, but I mean, it's red river, you know, some crazy stuff is going to happen. You know, it's going to be entertaining, right? Yeah, it always is. I think it's weird that Texas has become a team uh, that the power ratings like, uh, even though they don't really have a good you know, win on the year. UTSA, UL Monroe, and then last week against West Virginia. Um, it bears out in a, you know, being a seven-point favorite against Oklahoma. It's surprising to me. Uh, I still... I don't know what exactly what to think of this Oklahoma team. I mean, the last two weeks have been discouraging, but it seemed like we actually saw them do some, some things that are pretty impressive. Um, so it's a weird matchup, but it's always fun, and it's especially fun, honestly, to me. Uh, if both teams aren't going to be in the top ten, I'd like both teams fighting to stay above 500. So I, I guess know, I'll right? take Texas, but uh, I don't know. That's the fun part about college football, though, is even when these big names are bad, it's just as fun to laugh at them as it is to like see them play well. So, um, it almost certain... makes it almost makes the game higher stakes because it it turns yeah. into like the only thing the fan bases care about. There's no oh well, we still won the Big Twelve even though we lost this game. Like if Oklahoma loses, they're zero and three in Big Twelve play. Like wow. they're not winning the Big Twelve this year if they lose no. this game, probably. <laughs> I mean, even so, I, I have to imagine they're going to lose to Oklahoma State. I know that sounds weird to say, but, I mean, the Pokes look good this year. Speaking of the Big 12, TCU at Kansas is your college game day game. Yes, you heard that right. TCU at Kansas. Kansas getting college game day for the first time in football, at least. They've gotten it in basketball before, I'm assuming. Um, Kansas for 5-0, and and they're actually genuinely a fun team to watch. Maybe not so much last week, but in general, they put up points. TCU coming off a skull bashing of Oklahoma. That's definitely got to be a second screen for me. Um, 
There's a lot of great candidates for another one, though. I mean, Arkansas at Mississippi State is an intriguing matchup if you like just watching middle-tier SEC teams. Same thing with Tennessee at LSU. You can put Tennessee on upset watch. Is that, is that a ranked? Yeah, you said LSU yeah. is ranked. Yeah, LSU's stuck in there at 25. Kind of a sad thing that that game's at 9 a.m. You know, that's missing yeah. a opportunity for LSU to host a top 10 team, three-point underdogs, you know, in Tiger Stadium at night. Uh, so, kind of disappointed there. Yeah, man. Um, Missouri at Florida, if you're that sick. I mean, maybe it's maybe it gets interesting towards the end. There's bound to be some chaos in that game. Michigan on upset watch at Indiana. Um, but that's, that's a really solid way to start your day. Um, and then it continues well with Ohio State going to beat the crap out of Michigan State on the road. Um, so maybe it'll be fun to watch Mel Tucker like peruse how to spend $95 million while he's losing by 95 points on the sideline. Uh, Auburn at Georgia, again, shouldn't be close, but could be meme-worthy for sure. Utah-UCLA is the best game in this slate, genuinely. Um, Texas Tech at Oklahoma State, maybe one to keep an eye on as well in that middle one. Yeah, but, I, I mean, think yeah. Um, Miami plays North Carolina, too, at one. And that mm. should be an interesting game. That you know They had a bye week after losing to Middle Tennessee State two weeks ago. So that's kind of a two teams that I think were ranked in the preseason or at least close to it. Uh, Miami's three-and-a-half-point favorites in that so i think that's one that i'll definitely have on a second screen uh you know just to check in on what's up with crystal ball down there yeah man but i mean genuinely the pack the two pack 12 matchups in this slate might be the two best games on like period with utah yeah. at ucla and then uh u-dub down at arizona uh, and then the evening, um, obviously Oregon has the weird 6 p.m. kickoff time. So this game is going to be starting at like halftime of a lot of these other games. But um, Texas A&M at Alabama is going to be an interesting game just for like Jimbo purposes. Um, he's such a character, man. And all that offseason crap with that he had with Saban is hopefully going to come to light or come to fruition <laughs> in terms of him getting beaten down. Uh, again, Pac-12 has a great candidate for legitimately like most competitive game with two decent teams in this slate with Wazoo at USC. Um, and it'll be on national TV. So this could be a big weekend for the Pac-12 in terms of yeah. visibility, if nothing else. Um, yeah, BYU-Notre Dame is an mm -hmm. interesting game for the Ducks as well. I think that that BYU hanging around at you know, in the mid-teens is something that's booing Oregon's ranking. Uh, and I think it doesn't necessarily mean that if BYU drops off, Oregon will fall because I think it's a situation where just the way these rankings are actually done, um, once you kind of get up to 12th, you're probably going to stay there, even if the teams that lose, that you mm -hmm. beat, lose and start to look worse. Uh you know, these people don't really seem to start with a blank slate. Um, <laughs> and so it's helped Oregon so far and I think could continue to help them. Certainly, uh, you know, once the committee gets together as well, I think that the BYU game, uh, if if the Cougars can hang on until then, uh, that can help the Ducks as well. You know, not necessarily for a playoff spot, but just to help that ranking stay higher and, you know, fight for a new year six game or whatever it is. And it's funny because 
that will undoubtedly be looked at as Oregon's best win until like the UCLA game. Um, if, if we win that game. Uh, and yet I feel like they were significantly worse than Wazoo was. Um, yeah, it's just, that's just how perception works in this sport. It's really weird. Um, so those three games right there, I mean, Bama, Notre Dame and USC all playing at once, all playing against, you know, plucky opponents. Um, you got to think one of those teams loses one of those games, right? Probably Notre Dame, but we'll see how it works. Clemson going on the road at Boston College as well. Uh, if you need a like a replacement game on your third screen, um, maybe Kansas State Iowa State gets interesting. Hopefully, you won't have to watch that. Um, and then in the evening, Oregon State at Stanford to finish things off. Um, this starts even before the Hawaii game, which, or after the Hawaii game. Um, I guess they're playing on they're playing at San Diego State, but uh, and then Fresno at Boise is always a good Mountain West matchup. So you know. Turn that on at halftime of the Oregon game if you feel like it. Um, yeah, man. Any other ones that you want to point out that we may have skipped over? Who does Tulane play? Tulane has uh, East Carolina and our three-point favorites at home. Only three? Yeah. Wow. Well, East Carolina is pretty decent, right? They they had a one-point loss to NC State to start the season, if you remember. Ah, um, that's right. They missed the field game. goal. Yeah. Yeah, so you know they're not a they're not a horrible team, and Tulane is scraping around at four and one after the big uh, overtime win over Houston. So it's a big game. Yeah, man. Hey, roll wave, baby. <laughs> um, all right, man. Anything else we should clean up before we get out of here? Uh, I think we're in a good spot. Yeah, I think uh, we gave the full preview of this game. I mean, I hope people feel like. You know, this is a game that both of us are legitimately interested in and worried about. I feel like we do a good job of, you know, when when it's a game versus an FCS team or even versus Stanford last week, you know, we'll go a little lighter on the in-depth preview if we don't think it's something worth stressing mm-hmm. too much about or if there isn't points of concern. Uh, I don't think we'd try to sell you games that, that we don't think are going to be good, but this is one that is potentially worrying. And uh, if it does go well, I think that it, you know, is a significant uh, data point for what we should think about this Oregon team. I agree wholeheartedly. And I believe our, our preview reflects that. So thank you as always for listening to us and giving us your time. Uh, please give us a review if you feel like it um and check us out you know dm us on twitter or whatever at ducks pod um you're welcome to leave any feedback or questions you might have there and uh that's all we got go ducks go ducks